0: Hello, I can't tell you how nervous I am today, right at this moment. Pauline is easy, the nurse is easy, weeks of rehearsal. But I'm sitting here in the presence of Mr. Michael Boyd and Sir Peter Hall, and it is my honour to be here. Can I please welcome you to these two amazing gentlemen? Thank you. Thank you. Ultimately, I, I, my feeling for the evening is just to generally have a conversation, watch, watch these two have a conversation, and I'll just be popping in with a few questions and things to kind of pop you up and see what you can do, if you don't mind.
1: I'll try and include you. A yeah, person.
0: thank you. <laughs> All right, that'd be good. Now, what, my little bit of prep is Sir Peter Hall became Artistic Director of the Shakespeare Memorial Theatre in 1957 to 1959. And the thing that put me in awe as a young actor, not so young anymore, um, is the fact that you worked with Sir Laurence Olivier, Peggy Ashcroft, Edith Evans and Charles Lawton in those those particular years. And then you set up the Royal Shakespeare Company in 1960. How was that?
1: Well, (laughs) the actors that were in the first company uh, were a lot of junior actors people like Ian Holm, Dorothy Tewtin. Um and they were before it was even announced that I was going to be doing it so there was a kind of sausage going earlier. The celebration which was for the finish of the Shakespeare Memorial Theatre was um, very, well, I suppose, West End led and the way this company came into existence, you have to actually realize that there's an enormous commitment by the artist. I mean, I've come here like a man from Mars with my darling wife and daughter, and I don't really know anything more than you tell me. <laughs> but I'm looking forward to some more of it.
0: Well, we're having a great time. The thing that I realise is I'm ultimately here as an actor because you started this company. And Mr. Michael Boyd was the one of the people who employed me. Hurrah! Um, a few years ago. You, be- you became Associate Director for the Royal Shakespeare Company in 1996 and became <coughs> Artistic Director in 2003. So that leap for you, taking on that mantle, how was it?
2: It was an enormous, in business language, an enormous opportunity and a a terrifying threat. Um, The company was, was in debt, and I think the company had lost its faith for a while in the appetite of artists to stay together in the way that Peter had first imagined in the setting up of the Royal Shakespeare Company i.e., creating a community of artists over a longer period of time than the normal West End contract, uh, in order to look at our art, in order to take our art form seriously and perhaps leave the company slightly different from the way we came into the company. Yeah,
1: could, could I interrupt? Because, <coughs> pardon me, there's one thing I think people don't realize is that unless the Peggy Ashcrofts will join such a company, there'll be nobody else in the company. It's not snobbism, it's standards. It's creativity. She gave her last years to the company and she's been honoured, you know, with the thing in Westminster Abbey and all the rest. But the memory of what she gave to us is extraordinary. I ought to perhaps just quickly tell you another story. She was a very, very disciplined actress. And one summer's day when it was clear that cricket was very difficult to play. She put on her helmet and I was amazed during the Battle of York to see absolute disaster. Everything changed while all the young members of the audience went up to her and whispered something in her helmet. And I said to one of them, What's going on? He said, It's the score.
2: <laughs>
1: now, Peggy Ashcroft, God save her memory, was a great clown as well as a great actress, and a great comedian as well as a great mystic. So I'd just like you to remember her because she's the one without whom there would be no RSC.
0: I think actors, good actors, have to have a bit of fun. That sounds like a great story. I want to know about the ethos of ensemble from both of you, ultimately. Why did you want to create this ensemble with actors like Peggy Ashcroft?
1: Well, I mean, the only reason I am a director, and I swear to God this is true, is because I like being part of a group, a group of creative, interested people, interested in each other, trying to find the way in which they can bring to life a great classic, say, or bring to life a a new play which is apparently puzzling. But that kind of direct hands-on stuff is absolutely invaluable. And with every play I've done, and I think there are about 250 of them now, there is a, a tendency on one day, two days during the rehearsal period for all of us to be a damn sight better than we know we are. We are all, in a sense, inspired. We all lift one foot off the ground. And that happens right through the company. And when that happens, that's something to take home and share with your family and something to remember when you get back to the grind again of getting this play on. But it's there. It's nice to have money. It's nice to earn big money. But it's much more difficult to have a day like that.
2: Yeah, on I think Ensemble is about the magic that happens in the space between us. It's not great theatre doesn't happen here or there or there on stage. It happens, first of all, in between the actors, or it doesn't happen at all. And actually, I think the thing that distinguishes theatre from film or brilliant television is that it's not even just between the actors, but it's in the space between them and the audience in a way that this space celebrates, um, demanding that it's a community of audience, a circle of ears and eyes, as much um, as uh, it's not about passive listening. You, the, the lady in the, in the turquoise in the second row, is, knows she's sharing an experience with the lady in the stripy red rather lovely blouse um, in the second row, third row over there. Um, and, and I think the same thing is true amongst the company on stage. The moment, you know the moment there is a, there, there's no need for a director except to stop the log jams where a play gets choked on one actor. That's what. Otherwise, you don't need a director. Um, the director is there to both focus on that actor when appropriate and to make sure that the energy is flowing from that actor to others and back again. And, and then out to this gorgeous arena or whatever arena you're in. And in, in the end, in the end, that's what ensemble's about for me. I think there are lots of other things, and you know, eventually you could say, yes, the spirit of ensemble can be displayed in an informal way over the years by small fringe companies like Labyrinth here or Theatre de Complicité in the UK. It can be an informal arrangement over the years of a slightly larger company like Steppenwolf mm-hmm. in Chicago. Or at its strictest, it can be a two and a half, three year contract where people really give up their lives for that period of time, or most of it, um, to pursue their own craft and that of others together in an artistic community, in a town in the West Midlands with virtually no public transport (laughs) provision whatsoever. (laughs) It's so good.
0: I want to know what what was it that led you? And I think Michael, because you worked in Russian theatre, that was your big for you at the age of twenty-three, flying off to Russia to work. Uh, forgive me, I'd never remember the name of the company that you went to work with. But that was your first. Was it your first taste of ensemble, a big company working together over time?
2: I'd witnessed conspiracies before. Um, you you get lovely conspiracies on stage. Um, but, it, but it wasn't really because I, I, I lived hundreds of miles away from the RSC and I was, I was deprived in my childhood of, of really witnessing some of the, the, the fantastic things that happened early on. I was also a bit of a Philistine, actually, uh, for, for quite a while. Um, but, yes, in Moscow in 1979 under Brezhnev... Um, theatre was just about the only art form that in the space between us could sneak in the truth or at least a hint at the truth. And also, there was a particularly elevated and important and responsible position for the director then because the writer's script could be and was edited by the KGB man in the rehearsal room. Um, the, 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 the film could be snipped the poems yeah. could be snipped the novels could be just not published but the theatre was inherently subversive because of the truth leaking out you could not do Ibsen's Enemy of the People in the year I was there it had to be put on as Dr. Stockman because Enemy of the People was the phrase that Pravda used for someone yeah. who was about to be out of a job um, <laughs> and even doing King Lear at a time when Brezhnev was not ill and the Communist Party was very concerned about the succession uh, you could not do King Lear unless King Lear was played by the president of the, the, the Communist cadre in, in Moscow at the time um, so there was a the person in charge of those moments of electricity in the space between us, that leaked out into the audience, and were, were a place for truth witnessing. Yeah. Um, uh, f- directors had a very important place, and it was really exciting. And you saw that change happening, and where well, yeah. you could lead it too. Yeah.
0: So Peter, I want to ask you: so at the age of 29, he founded the Royal Shakespeare Company. I'm 42. <laughs> I'm working with the Royal Shakespeare Company and loving every second of it. But what was your lead into? What, what What were the things before you that you went, I want to create this group of people?
1: Well, when you're 27, it doesn't seem to matter as much as it does when you're later. <laughs> <laughs> the extraordinary thing about... I mean, you know, memories of one's childhood and what one got from one's childhood change all the time. They develop into different ways, they alter, they contradict each other. And the fact that the first bit of theatre that I saw was Robinson Crusoe at the Playhouse Theatre, Bury St Edmunds. And it was the story of Robinson Crusoe with the song and dance and lots of uh, Skirts. I thought that was terribly exciting. <laughs> <laughs> I was four, but I do remember that as four.
0: Especially in Edwards.
1: Absolutely. If yes. you want to watch it. <laughs> but, uh... No, so... Uh, there's a kind of honesty level which makes one stay in the theatre, which is the honesty that we show to each other when we're working. And where that is not shown, then the thing doesn't happen that Michael's talking about. And it's a, it's a mystery, and it always will be, I think.
0: And that, that leading to creating that big ensemble, so you, from four you're having that energy, and then by the, 20, the age of 27...
1: Well, you, can't, you can't create a, uh, an ensemble by lists. Mm. You can cast a play and say, well, we've got 12 jolly good actors there, we could do something else with it and out of that may come the second play no. and out of that may become a little nucleus which becomes the RSC but it can't be organized no. it has to happen like a flower um, and that's why I, I do it, I, it's not like that, I mean I have the greatest respect for movie makers and wish sometimes I was one myself but. There's, there's nothing like the creative buzz on a movie set that you get on a theatre set nothing like it, would you not agree?
2: I, I, I don't know I, 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 imagine there's a, I imagine there's a completely different kind of buzz on a movie set and, and, and that there's a different kind of joy in the storyboarding way in advance of anyone being in rehearsals yeah. I just think they're completely different art forms um, and it's I, the
1: only the actors who realise that that are happy in either.
2: Yeah, actor, actors are lucky. They get to swim in both ponds all the time I, I, and, and in other directors' rehearsal rooms, which is a lovely uh, thing uh, that, that actors get to do. One of the... A little story about the RSC.
1: One of the reasons why it became an ensemble was that when we began in 5960 at Stratford, we issued a little company orders notice which said anyone may watch rehearsal anyone may come into rehearsal anyone can watch they cannot make noise they cannot comment and they cannot disturb but they can at their own will come and see what we're doing everybody the the office staff who were t- keen on their coffee break was drinking their coffee and watching the rehearsal And you think, well, this is a very arty thing. It wasn't arty at all. It made everybody know where we were. And the separation of the admin from the actual creativity is perhaps the biggest problem we face when we're doing a play. Because it's easy enough to write down what should happen, quite another matter to find out whether it can happen. Anyway, hasn't answered your question. That was a lovely answer to my question.
0: I want to, going back to the thing about plays, I'm going to talk about, I want to ask you about, so you just opened up to glowing reviews for Henry IV, parts mm-hmm. one and two, mm-hmm. in Bath. Yeah. And Michael, you, I, I call them the boys' plays is what I call them, the histories. You both have a fascination with those plays and they've been quite major successes for both of you in the last, well, in the We've last all done years. It. Hmm? We've both done you both done it. you've done the War of the Roses and Michael did the history cycle as it was. What is it about those particular reference of plays, those group mm-hmm. of plays?
1: Well Shakespeare is you- one of the great, great con artists, he says that, that is true, but on the other hand that might be also true. Mm-hmm. And so might that why don't you just go home and talk it out with your wife? <laughs> that's the Shakespeare creative act. I mean, people still go around saying, what, is he re- what does he think? What does he think? Is he left-wing? Is he right-wing? What is... And people say Shakespeare doesn't have any women in his plays. They're stuffed with women. They happen to be played by little children, but that's a fashion of the age, and it passes. But the...
2: And the yeah. histories have surely one of the greatest parts he wrote um, of all and certainly the part that I think has got the greatest span <laughs> over four plays. Margaret of Anjou is introduced to us in Henry VI, Part One dominates Part Two and much of Part Three and has a star show-stealing turn in Richard III. So what are you moaning about?
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Sorry,
0: did I hear that wrong?
2: Um, I'm not going to be well, sure. the, the reason you call them boys' plays no, is because okay. there's, there's lots of killing and, there's a, of and torture and maiming and dismemberment um, and battles and so on. But in a way, they are, they are a fit subject for, for, for husband and wife to talk about afterwards. Partly in England it's really important because it's, 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 the, it's the English Bible. It's, it's like the early or, or it, it's the mythical early story of the creation of the state. But actually playing to um, a, a contemporary Pakistani British audience, it feels astonishingly contemporary As it, yeah. To, yeah. To, to friends of mine. Sure. Um, and and African British audiences, oh my God, this, this is just this. This is kitchen sink realism. This isn't. This isn't ancient fable, um, and the one reason why that survives that degree of freshness is that is that Shakespeare. I completely agree with Peter that he was pathologically impossible of holding one idea in mind without proposing its equal and opposite at the same time. It's his. That's the essential bit of his DNA: antithesis. But even to have that argument as a writer at the time, was very, very dangerous. And Shakespeare was one of the few yes. people to, to escape jail or a duel or, 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 or trouble and torture, um, partly by his great strategy of, of ducking and diving between his con artist positions. But he another way he kept out of jail was to hide it in English history way back when, when he could equally have been talking about the England... Of the, of the present, present day, day that he was yeah. writing about yeah. as well. When instead of the House of York and Lancaster fighting it out, it may be the, the Protestant or the Catholic cause fighting it out um, in Shakespeare's own time. Um, they're exciting. They're a, young man, they're, they're a young man proving his talent. Yeah. Um, forging while the iron is still very, very hot in his imagination. So when you first did it, was it,
0: I, what, forgive me which year was... Ten years ago, over ten years ago. I 2000. Mean, 2000, yeah. and then you came back again. Yeah. How was that different for you? Was it just the group of actors that was different, or did you reimagine all over again? What, with Tom? I was able to do
2: it better, because I could learn from the mistakes of the first time. I was able to do more, because I was doing all eight, rather than just the, uh, the, the first four. four that he wrote. Um, and September the 11th had happened, yes. and we were involved in two serious wars. So of course it present, changed present, yeah. our sensibility as we did it. Those who were in both said there was a, there was less certainty. There was certainly no confident redemption. There was still the attempt at redemption, but it was much less, um, much less glib. I think perhaps.
0: <clears throat> and for you, Peter, coming back to them, how's that been?
2: For me.
1: Yes.
0: Okay. I
2: happened to be in Chicago
1: doing an opera at the time of the horrible events. Oh, I think sorry, it, I mean, it'll stay with me forever. Yeah. I mean, how could it not? I'm sure everybody in this room has a memory of what that was, those days. It's horrible.
0: And then coming back to do the Henry IV. Cause if, uh,
1: well, Henry Fourth yeah. is pretty shocking, yeah. I tell you. And that's, that's why several actors have said to me last week as they were watching our note giving it's extraordinary that uh, this has been allowed to happen they were Russian of course and I mean you did a brilliant analysis of what Shakespeare has and what Shakespeare does and I completely agree with you But it changes decade by decade, country by country. It alters. Every country in the West thinks they possess Shakespeare. I was once congratulated when in Russia by a Russian lady who was the interpreter, congratulated on having a smattering of Russian which was really so much better than English when it came to Shakespeare. There wasn't an international incident, but I felt like that.
2: <laughs> <clears throat> No, I think you're right. I think one of the ways at different times that America, for instance, has taken hold of Shakespeare mm. is through character. Um, is, is as, as family drama is looking at Tennessee Williams mm. and Arthur Miller and through that prism coming to Shakespeare. And I think... American production of Shakespeare has lots to talk to British and, um, and give production us back a, 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 about that
0: you've just elicited something from me because it's, it's that feeling, I, I love doing a Shakespeare play and then the next job being a new writing play usually I find that they feed really really well I mean the, the energy I get from doing something very very old as it seems a new piece of writing, how does that work for you? So Peter you did Beckett's Waiting for Godot not knowing who this person was, I read. But you no, just it, it
1: absolutely changed my life. Yeah. But, but that's the thing they always say on television. <laughs> but it's true. But it's We're true. not on television. so We're,
0: <laughs> <laughs> We're in the theatre. Yeah. <laughs> but how was that working with, um, for you, new writing, all the, all the new writing stuff that you do?
1: Well, I mean, you could argue that the best thing I did at the RSC was to do a play called The Homecoming. Yes. You could also argue that it was a wicked, filthy, dreadful, depraved. You know, depends which, which particular source you're going to this night. I, I, it happened to me at Boston, about 65, or 66. We were on tour with The Homecoming. And when the old man got to saying she could earn her money herself on her back, we won't speculate what he was talking about, the audience to a man got up and left. (laughs) Boston was very, very Puritan still in those days, and no one had told me. I mean, there was nothing I could have done. (laughs) Anyway, the important thing about the the theatre is that a group of people who are alive and who know each other meet together in a space and try and actually catch the tale of this person who has written something which is the record of his dreams. It's tough, all that. And it's... I mean, I think there are things, wonderful things still to be discovered about Shakespeare. How can he possibly have written those parts for the boys, like Viola, like Rosalind, like... Any others?
2: Portia? Cleopatra.
1: One of the great benefits, I have to say, of being director of the RSC is that you can go into your office in the morning and say to yourself, now what shall we do next year, Antony and Cleopatra? And there's nobody there except the finance officer saying it's too expensive. <laughs> but there are ways. And... Those ways have to be found. And they're part of the process. It's, it's not um, not manual work. It's I emotional th- I, work. I think one of
2: your, one of your great legacies, uh, certainly in, in terms of British theatre, is the, re, the re-establishment, after centuries, really, of the preeminence of the Shakespeare repertoire of the Shakespeare canon as being considered as viable and not necessarily too expensive to do but actually as a good bet Uh, as a a man who provided a very lyrical very risky very bold very experimental model but also a viable commercial populist model of of making theatre and uh, I think I think British Theatre forgot that for a while, and I think you've been very instrumental in, mm-hmm. in actually bringing that canon back into play for theatre management. Thank you. And
0: bo- Sorry, sir. Go on, go on. I was going to say, and both of you being artistic directors of the Royal Shakespeare Company. How does that differ from other institutions, because it is an institution
1: there. What do you mean, the, the way they do it? Or? Yes, the
0: way they do it. I, mean, just, I read a quote recently that you made that you thought that you'd left the RSC being artistic direct RSC quite that early. A,
1: that was something quite different. That was a personal matter. Oh, okay. We'll leave that Shouldn't one. Shouldn't have said it. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I don't think I did. Journalism,
0: okay. oh. exactly. But what is it like being... Because it's a huge... You've created this, and it's 50 years later. We're all here because of you, and we're also here because Michael and Susie and and Vicky and Sir Christopher created this thing to happen, the transformation of the
1: Royal Shakespeare Theatre. Yeah, maybe as a foreigner creeping in with a rusty lantern, looking for the future perhaps it's worth just saying how amazed I was to arrive here last Saturday with my wife and found this.
0: <laughs>
1: it's good. Cool. It's so cool. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. I mean, I learnt that everything that was... Is, I should, perhaps shouldn't be saying this, but I've started now. So All this... Was built at Stratford on Avon and then sent to this country for a construction like a wonderful great Lego set. <laughs> and that's how it happened, but it's uh, gracious and beautifully proportioned wherever you walk. And far from being a kind of practical, we've got to do the governors, we've got to do the. just got to
2: do the. Uh, well, anyway. It's also. A love letter from the workshop to the repertoire. Yeah, yeah. It's just referring to your earlier thing about people coming into rehearsals and having a porous rehearsal room and the importance of different sides of the theatre not losing sight of each other because the moment they do... It can't ..there's, help stress, it. Yeah. there's stress, and yeah. it snaps, and it's, it's no good. And in large arts organisations, that is a constant issue, always needing to look... To look at, there were great tensions between London and Stratford at different times in the organisation uh, of the RSC. And I think the thing that I love best about this space is, apart from its nimbleness and cleverness and quickness, is is the responsiveness of structural engineers and uh, and, and, and their workshop staff to the needs of the repertoire, just like that. That, that's, that degree of attention and complicity with what's happening on stage with the actors is, is wonderful.
0: It's extraordinary. I, I, love, I love playing this stage. I haven't been in a proscenium arch in a very long time now. Um, and it's going to be weird to go back to that, but I think that absolutely there has to be both, because this just gives us a 360... Uh, you have to work. You have to work from your back, you have to work from your front, you have to work from your hip, you have to work from your shoulder, and just in terms of your storytelling. I know that you're not too sure, Sir Peter, about the thrust stage.
1: What oh, no, no, now? wait a minute. I'm quite sure about the thrust oh. stage. It's thrust. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's wonderful to make a, 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 a slight, tiny reservation into some great... Huge. Yeah,
0: it's been blown out of proportion.
1: My... Oh, no, I haven't finished. No, All right, go on. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting. I'm having a think. <laughs> He's allowed. No, the extraordinary thing about... No, I'm not ready. I'll, I'll come back to it. Yeah, i am paying your pardon.
0: Have you directed in a space like this, Sir Peter? Have you, di- have you directed for a space like this? For... Have you directed for a space like this? Yes. And that worked for you?
1: No.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you can you can come and see the result. It's on oh, it. no, stop. It's a question that we, we have to be a bit flexible about this. I mean, 90%, perhaps 95% of this place is a fantastic success to the people who backed it, who made it happen, who allowed it to happen, to Michael, who nursed it, to his associates, who supported him. It's huge. It's a huge, huge success. So a little director coming in and saying, I'm a little bit worried about the thrust stage, doesn't cut much ice and shouldn't. Absolutely. There's never been a theatre built in history, as far as I know, that wasn't changed soon after it was built. Directors come in and say, well, do you really have to have that entrance there? Couldn't that one be just as good? They change. They alter. They alter the space. They alter the the thrust. My problem with the thrust stage is that there is nothing grander than the thrust move, moving in on the audience. And when I'm about here, everybody can more or less see me, more or less. But as I go away, you're getting a very difficult time I think now if I come here and say oh for a muse of fire I'm saying it to this audience here not this audience not this audience so I have to portion it out line by line of course if it's a duologue two person scene it's even worse because their eyes are there mine are here And if we look at each other in the eyes, which one tends to do in life. Thank you. (laughs) you. you. Anyway, you see the problem.
0: (laughs) Now, ideally, I should ask Michael's version. You can also see
2: um, how vivid that was. How charismatic. <laughs> How charismatic that walk. Peter got almost everything right. He got to here and then he didn't know what to do. Because he didn't go all the way. He didn't have the courage to come here and really shiver the timbers of the front rows and then turn around imperiously um, from downstage centre. And then, of course, you can move over to here. And uh, actually, you You get just about the entire house with the minimum of movement from here. But over a muse of fire is certainly not best done jigging about (laughs) down there. (laughs) I like it. I like it here. Not but I kind of like Not it. For a I like it actually even more here, even more. And I don't move even from the waist up. This is gorgeous. But I've committed myself, and I, I could make the same mistake Peter made. Um, <laughs> but but it 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 it, it takes it, it, it. You have to love it. But having said that. <laughs> I love Peter. And as we were designing this auditorium, as Peter says, every theatre should be ready to be destroyed. Or at least seriously modified. Sorry, Susie, modified. <laughs> um, um, and the major modification that is inbuilt to this, this idea is, is Peter's Theatre, which is so you can also do it like this and then it's wider your seats go I'm afraid and it goes off like that and you have a get off mm-hmm. straight to here and in, in, in the permanent ish theatre in Stratford uh, there, are, there are exits here and here and there is the, the Peter Hall thrust which comes out to here uh, which for my money is a little bit far away from hello
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, <clears throat> But it certainly, allows, it certainly allows for people to address the entire house and approximate more the condition of everyone, if you like, seeing the same thing at the same time. I love a conversation of opposites and yeah. everybody seeing different things but still coming together. And I think it's something that's quite valuable for us right now in the world we live in.